0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis, and today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wow! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm your host, Nick Seipel. We've got a great show for you this week. It's been a rough few months for Energy between the pandemic oil price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia and we really haven't had a lot of nice things to say about a lot of energy companies. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of rough uh, looking issues out there right now. This week we thought it might be fun to talk about some areas in energy where you might be able to invest today, not have to hold your nose and maybe get a decent return over the next several years. To help me break that down, is industry focused contributor Matt Dalalo. Matt, how's it going?
1: Going pretty good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing all right just like everybody else, you know, kind of making it through. Day by day, but I am excited to talk about energy with you as I am excited to talk about energy every week. Before we dive into uh, some renewable yield codes that you think are, are, are attractive right now, let's just talk about the state of energy investing. As I said off the top of the show, it's been a rough few months. Uh, what's it been like to be covering this sector?
1: It's been interesting to say the least. I, you know, they bandy the word unprecedented so many times, and I, that's really probably the only word you can describe. I mean, negative oil prices and bankruptcies that are beginning and just the demand destruction. Nobody's ever seen anything like this. And so it's made for very interesting topics to cover.
0: Yeah, just one of those companies you talk about, about demand destruction. We talked at the beginning of the year, January 9th, about Chesapeake Energy as a company that was in a particularly fragile position. Obviously, we didn't expect this global pandemic uh, to take place and really decimate the company. But you look, we talked about this company as a, a bad place to invest your money, saw really high Robinhood ownership back on January 9th. Since then, the stock is down 95%. Matt, what has been going on? How has this stock collapsed so much? And why were we so smart?
1: Uh well so when Chesapeake started the year they they had um, you know I think it was like 9 billion dollars of debt and they like I think 300 of that that was due this year and so they had they did, they weren't going to be able to refinance that they have a terrible balance sheet and so they had to sell assets well asset prices have collapsed with oil prices so they can't sell assets and without being able to sell assets they just won't be able to pay this debt they just don't have any Options other than filing for bankruptcy, and that's going to happen. There's just no way around it,
0: right? And that was probably something that was was going to occur, whether or not this pandemic took place. But it was certainly accelerated uh, over the past few months, as you said, by not being able to sell off assets, uh, that sort of thing. Ironically, when you look at Robinhood ownership data through April 14th, uh, Robinhood uh, ownership of the stock was up roughly 80% uh, over that period. Uh, and why, why why is there no data after April 14th? They did a 1-for-200 reverse split. So, I think a lot of people flooded into this stock seeing oil prices had declined, and maybe this is a chance to pick up something on a value. It's a lesson to understand what you're buying, fundamentally, what, what this company provides. And that you know there's a lot of companies that, that might look cheap relative to where they traded three, four, five months ago, but that doesn't mean you, you they couldn't go even much lower.
1: Yeah, and the big thing with like companies like Chesapeake is the asset values. Yeah, so oil prices will pick up, but it's still that's going to depress asset values, and so they can't sell assets, and banks can't lend them money based on like the value of the oil and gas in the ground. With with oil at thirty dollars a barrel, they just can't drill most of the wells that they they have available. So there's just no value there, and it, you know, and that gets into the solvency situation. They're they're just not worth. And who knows what they're worth, because we don't know what oil prices are going to do tomorrow.
0: Yeah, and so this is one of these founding companies uh, of the shale boom. Aubrey McLennan was one of these (coughs) iconic figures as the the, the business grew up. But like a lot of these shale companies, when the rubber meets the road, structurally unprofitable, and so they're probably headed for bankruptcy. Ironically, you noted this to me, Matt, they just paid out a big bonus to their executives uh, as they're preparing for bankruptcy, or reportedly preparing for bankruptcy, similar to what Whiting Petroleum did.
1: Yeah, and it just shows that sometimes these companies—they're not looking out for shareholders. They're—they're so they're giving 21 executives 25 million dollars for basically burying the company, and that's what so they can stay on and do what you know to destroy more shareholder value. And it's just been disappointing to watch some what some of these companies do instead of, you know, protecting shareholders. They're protecting themselves, and you know they really should be ashamed.
0: Yeah, we see you see this a lot with companies going into bankruptcy. Uh, you know, I, it is what it is, I suppose. So, pivoting after what we talked off the top of the show, we want to bring some cheer and some happiness and some positivity uh, <laughs> to this show. I know it's been rough um, in energy. So, so one sector uh, that is showing some stability is holding up well uh, for shareholders during this period are renewable yield codes. And our friend uh, Cam Kane on Twitter tweeted me, asked us to talk about renewable yield codes. So we're going to talk about them. Uh, right now, for folks, first off, for folks who aren't familiar with these businesses, what are they? What is a Renewable Yield Co?
1: Yeah, so Renewable Yield Co, if uh, you're familiar at all with like MLPs and that kind of thing, they do a similar thing. They're, they're these investment vehicles that focus on owning assets to generate cash flow. So in this case, it'll be, you know, big solar farms, big wind farms that they sell the power. Primarily to other utilities or like big companies like a Facebook or a Google that need to run data centers, and so they'll sell it on a fixed price contract. So they're basically guaranteed, uh, you know, an offtake. So whatever power they produce, these companies have to pay them a set rate, and so that insulates them from vol- volatility. And you know, that's been one of the big things that I've noticed just going through first quarter earnings is companies that had exposure to volumes. Or prices, they are just doing terrible. But those that had these fixed price contracts, they're holding up really well. A lot of the utilities, you know, they're not making any changes to their plans, and so that's kind of one of the things I like about renewable yearclothes. They're holding up pretty well. Uh, their stocks went down, but they picked up back a little bit. But it's still, if you're looking for something that's that's going to be stable in what still looks like a pretty unstable environment, they they're really interesting to look at.
0: Right, this is one of these where you have contracted cash flows, where you know whatever whatever energy you produce, your customers are required to provide. And importantly, these counterparties are going to be really strong. You mentioned these strong tech companies, probably going to be utility companies. These are businesses that aren't are, are unlikely to default. Now, we'll talk about uh, one later with PG and E that did, and that's a special circumstance. But uh, yeah. but generally, your counterparties here are going to be really strong, and then you add in these stable cash flows. It's going to be difficult uh, to to not get paid out on those contracts.
1: Correct, correct.
0: Okay, so the first company uh, that, that you brought for us to discuss today is Clearway Energy. What does Clearway Energy do?
1: Yeah, so Clearway Energy, they basically operate uh, kind of three different businesses. They've got the renewables, your solar farms and your wind farms, and then they have a bunch of natural gas power plants that simply things they'll sell the power that these plants generate under long term contracts to the utilities. And then they have thermal, which is district energy. You'll see these in a lot of big cities where they'll have like a central uh, heating and air conditioning type system and it provides energy to these buildings. And so all long term contracts and, uh, you know, very stable. They're owned um, by Global Infrastructure Partners, which is a very big PE firm. They took control in 2018. And uh, they also have what's called a sponsor, which is Clearway Energy Group that kind of like uh, develops renewable energy projects. So they've got this steady stream of projects that's going to come down. And so they've, they've got visible growth. So you've got these two different aspects of this, this strong underlying business and then these parents that kind of provide them with opportunities.
0: Yeah, so, so when you look at this, this private equity as a large shareholder, how do you think about that as an investor? There, there are some, there's positive, obviously, obviously they want to manage that to a positive return, but then there is some concern that maybe they want to divest that stake at some point in time. So, how do you think about that ownership stake when, when you when you think about investing in the stock?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a concern. Anytime you've got somebody else that has control, and uh, you know, in the case of Clearway, there's two chair classes, an A and a C, and uh, the the A class has uh, much more voting power, and so they, they definitely have that control. And so you really need to be able to trust that management. And Global Infrastructure Partners, they're they're one of the the really smart investors out there. They have their hands in a lot of different things, so. Uh, I trust them uh, more than some of the other uh, private equity firms out there because they're really long-term investors.
0: Absolutely, and so I teased earlier that we might talk about one of these scenarios where there was a counterparty uh, who was one of these big utility companies that did get into some trouble uh, that put the company in a little bit of hot water. And in that case, for Clearway Energy, it's PG and E. Obviously, many people are familiar with the California wildfires that were eventually attributed uh, to PP&E, in which they were fa- found liable for, which led to the company uh, declaring bankruptcy. How is that affecting Clearway Energy?
1: Yeah. so Clearway Energy had to cut their dividend because a lot of the projects that they sell power to P G and e um, have financing components to them, and the lenders said that they had to restrict the cash And the concern is, uh, in these bankruptcies, sometimes uh, one of the outcomes is that they adjust the contracts. Now, that doesn't appear to be the case here, Uh, and PG&E has continued to pay the contracts, so that cash has been building up. And uh, so, once uh, they clear through the bankruptcy, they'll have access to this cash, and the cash flow is going forward. So, they've actually said that they're going to normalize their dividend, and then they're going to use this cash to buy some uh, wind projects that they're going to drop down. But you know that is a concern, and a lot, something that we probably don't you know even think about too much is its counterparty exposure. And in this case, they had you know a lot of exposure to PG&E, which before all the bankruptcy issues and fire issues, it was a great counterparty. They were one of the you know stronger utilities. But it is an issue to you know that investors really need to look at going forward is what is the like worst case scenario risk because as we've seen, you know, worst case scenarios can come you know before you expect them.
0: Absolutely. Any of these contracts are only as good as your counterparty's ability to fulfill them, uh, as appealing as they as as they can look. Uh, Yeah, so so I think this is an important thing to to understand about bankruptcy. What happens when a company goes into bankruptcy? As soon as a company declares bankruptcy, there's created this bankruptcy estate, which is this fictional entity that kind of replaces the company. A trustee takes over control of that, and the estate's job is to uh, funnel all the assets, pool all the assets uh, that the company controls in order to divvy those out to all the different uh, uh, claims, both secured and unsecured, on the company. And so, what's happening in this case is these payments uh, to Clearway Energy are getting put in a lockbox while the bankruptcy is ongoing to preserve those assets, um, and when the bankruptcy is cleared, uh, the, the claims that the Clearway Energy are, are determined uh, to be entitled to will, will be divvied out to them. And you know, there, there, there. As, as Matt mentioned, there's a chance that those contracts can be altered. That is one of the advantages of bankruptcy, is you get some of these abilities to alter contracts, get out of leases, uh, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but by all in- indications, Matt, it, it's a, it appears these are unlikely to be modified in bankruptcy.
1: Yeah, that, that's what Clearway has kind of been indicated in the fact that. There's been no discussion of that in any of the bankruptcy proceedings, and uh, they're very close to exiting. I think the the judge is supposed to to review it very soon, so it looks like a pretty sure bet.
0: Okay, and so then coming out of this, uh, what opportunities does this create for Clearway to grow its dividend and return value to shareholders?
1: Yeah, so they're they're right now they yield four percent, which is pretty decent, and. Um, they're paying out about 50% of their cash flow, and a y- yield code, they'll pay out up to 80%, so you could actually see a pretty decent jump in the dividend once this happens. And then they're going to use some of that restricted cash to buy some wind projects that's going to add uh, another like 5% of their cash flow. And, um, you know, so I think you're going to see some, you know, significant growth over the next year out of that. And then with these relationships they have and then the steady cash flow they're generating, I I really think that you're going to see just steady growth from them going forward. They really look like one of the um, kind of interesting opportunities in the yield co-sector.
0: A nice, reliable, steady dividend that you can expect to increase meaningfully when this overhang from PG&E goes away. Correct. Yep. And just to lay out those tickers to folks, we didn't, we didn't mention them, so it's uh, CWEN and CWENA, and the voting shares are CWENA, correct, Matt?
1: Correct, yeah.
0: Okay. So, the second company, the second Yield Co. we're going to talk about today is Atlantica Yield. How is Atlantica Yield different from Clearway Energy?
1: Yeah. So, Atlantica Yield operates what they call sustainable infrastructure, a lot, of, a lot of similar assets. You've got the renewable energy aspect, the natural gas power plants, Uh, But then they've got some other infrastructure, electricity transmission, water desalinization, and then they're buying a um, Gulf of Mexico uh, natural gas uh, transportation business. So in a sense, you've almost got like a a mini Brookfield uh, infrastructure slash renewable energy going on because those are very similar businesses that those two own. So you you've just said they're really focused on what's sustainable and uh, going forward. A lot of growth in those type of businesses. Water is you know a huge growth business. A lot of uh, investment needed there, and of course electricity transmission. You can build a wind farm out in you know Iowa, but then you need the transmission to get that to the city. So uh, really interesting businesses. Uh, Contractually secured cash flow. They they pay almost a seven percent dividend because they pay out much higher. So you know, really interesting business as far as what they own, and then they have a lot of growth too. They've got uh, an option to buy a U.S. solar farm that'll be meaningful, and then um, the Gulf of Mexico offshore business that they they have the option to buy out, and then they just started a renewable energy partnership in Chile that just bought something. So a lot of visible growth, and that'll fuel dividends.
0: So Matt, when you look at the, the water business, I, I think that's interesting to to Atlantic Yield. Obviously, it's different from Clearway. I, I don't see these. All over the place. Uh, we mentioned the customer base uh, for, for the electricity assets might be one of these big tech companies or, or a utility. For, for the water assets, would this be water utilities? Who are the customers in this case?
1: Actually, in this case, they're in uh, Algeria, of all places, and it's a national oil company of Algeria, which they have these contracts with uh, in this case. So it's uh, a lot of times you'll, your big industrial companies will need fresh water, whether they're, they're processing um, uh, the mining industry, for example, use a lot of fresh water. So there could be growth to, to kind of develop some of those type of assets or buy some of those type of assets. And again, long term contracts, whatever they produce, the customer has to pay for.
0: Yeah, so A reminder on the ticker here, it, it's AY. As between Atlantica yield and Clearway Energy, do you, do you have a clear preference there?
1: I think that there's a little bit more upside in Clearway right now, just because once that overhang of uh, PG&E happens, you know, you're going to see a big dividend boost, and I, I think that could you know drop the share price a little bit.
0: Yeah, a little bit of a special situation there uh, uh, going yeah. on. Uh, w- one thing I wanted to address, we, we did have uh, one other Attractive option energy to talk about, but but I think when we when we talk about yield codes, we didn't talk about this off the top. Uh, when when you're investing in renewables, what is the advantage of investing in a yield co versus some other renewable investment options, whether it's a solar company or a component maker, that sort of thing?
1: Yeah. So uh, as we kind of talked about at the top of the show, volume is a big thing, and you don't have the volume issues with the yield code, But with a solar power manufacturer, uh, right now they they the, um, the demand for solar panels, for example, is down because you know we can't build things right now. And so volume uh, for them is going to be impacted and, and they're very price sensitive when there's not a lot of demand for things. So there's that volatility there and you're not going to have that volatility in the yield co. Uh, and they're really, you know there are some utilities that you could buy that have a lot of renewable exposure, but this is kind of as pure play as you can get in renewables without that volume issues. And um, now U.K. They've had problems in the past. We mentioned, you know, with the, the counterparties, and some of them got a little overextended. Uh, your terraform power and pattern energy back in the day, they 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 had some issues. Uh, but I think they've they kind of learned from those issues of, you know, how can we operate these businesses sustainable? We're all about sustainability and environmental, so we need to have sustainable businesses. So I do think that they've kind of finally figured out the best business model that's sustainable for them. And I think that makes them more attractive for people that are just looking for steadiness in their portfolio.
0: Right, you want exposure to renewable energy, but you don't want to have to, you know, time the market based on, you know, macro factors, and that's that can really influence demand uh, for these solar panels in particular. Right. Yep. So okay. So so away uh, from the renewable energy yield co space, any other areas in energy that you would be I don't know about super excited, but you wouldn't have to hold your nose to jump in and buy and buy shares right now.
1: Yeah, so I cover a lot of pipeline companies, uh, and I've been doing that for several years. And I've seen this big difference in kind of two different pipeline sectors. You've got the ones that have a lot of volume exposure, so you know they gather and process oil and gas from the wells and places like the Permian Basin. Well, they're cutting off the wells because they're just no longer profitable. Uh, But a lot of natural gas uh, demand. Natural gas demand has been surprisingly steady, even though industrial has been down. Um, so TC Energy, it's a uh, Canadian pipeline company. They're one of the biggest energy infrastructure companies in North America, major gas business in Canada, the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, a lot of their contracts are what they call take-or-pay contracts, which means the customers have to pay them even if they don't use the volumes, which is great for steady cash flow. So again, counterparty, as long as the counterparties continue to pay them, you're going to continue to get that cash flow. And um, they actually, I think, would have probably the safest dividend in the pipeline sector. Forty percent of the cash flow they use to pay the dividend. A lot of others, like your um, Kinder Morgans, you know, they're up fifty percent. Um, Enbridge closer to 60%, and then some of the MLPs, they were up 80 90%. So, much more sustainable dividend, top-tier balance sheet, and then growth. Uh, you, a lot of these companies don't have any growth anymore, but they've got like $40 billion Canadian dollars worth of expansion projects in the backlog, uh, including the Keystone XL pipeline, which is just moving forward. So, they, they actually expect to grow their dividend 8 to 10% next year and 5 to 7% after that. So, you've got a stable dividend, lots of growth. It's probably my favorite right now in the pipeline sector.
0: That's ticker TRP on, on the U.S. exchanges. Um, so, so, Matt, when when you look at their are their pipelines, where are they located geographically? What what uh, types of producers are they servicing?
1: Yeah, so they're all over. They've got um, natural gas pipelines, like I mentioned, Canada, uh, the U.S. and Mexico. They're they're focused on. Um, a lot of the big gas plays, so the Marcellus shale, they've got a big business that takes gas out of the Marcellus and ships it down to the Gulf of Mexico, where you're getting those exports. The same thing in Canada, they're actually building an export pipeline to um, support Shell's LNG Canada project. So they're connecting these gas uh, pipeline or these gas basins to um, those sub regions. Then they have oil business. Keystone pipeline is a big one. And they also generate power, uh, and they sell it uh, kind of the same way, it, where it's that um, those long-term contracts, however, it, nuclear, they're a big nuclear power producer in Canada, they have a big nuclear plant. So, a lot of diversification, a lot of uh, exposure to different sectors.
0: Yeah. And then, Matt, last thing, we talked earlier on the renewable yield codes, the importance when it comes to these contracts of counterparties, uh, who would be TC Energy's major counterparties?
1: A lot of them are your utilities on the gas side. And then on the pipeline side, you've got a lot of the strong Canadian uh, companies like Suncor Energy and Canadian National Resources for their their pipelines. Um, so very strong counterparties. Any of them, they're going to have you know some weaker links. But overall, I, I think it's something like 95% of their counterparts are investment grade or something similar. So that, that's very good to see.
0: And some of those companies you mentioned are, are pretty important to the Canadian economy. When you when you think about it, absolutely. Okay, so so including I think I think those are those are three stocks that right now in the energy sector you know we could go buy and not not worry about uh, too much. Matt, when, when you're looking out over the the next six months as an energy investor, how optimistic are you for for conditions to improve uh, for shareholders?
1: You know it's really interesting out there because you you really need to see demand come back. And so if demand for gasoline doesn't come back quickly, then there, we're going to continue to have this big overhang. And um, you know, the, anecdotally, there's some evidence out there where gasoline demand has started to come back in some places. So if that happens, then they can burn off some of the supply. And then you don't have the um, the storage issues, but you know if there's a second wave or you know with unemployment being down where it is, there's just so much unknown. So I'm particularly like being careful of things that are volume driven, and um, you know there we just don't know what's going to happen. We've never been in this situation as a, a global economy, so I'd err on the side of caution.
0: I agree with you completely. I think the phrase of the year is "I don't know." Yeah, definitely. Matt, thanks as always for hopping on the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for making us all sound so great. For Matt DeLallo, I'm Nick Seipel. thanks for listening and Fool on!